Hi, this is John Hemminghouse speaking for the Beacon of Hope broadcast. It seems that most people understand that God's Word lays out a high standard of morality. The Bible teaches that God is holy and He calls His people to live righteous lives as well. In fact, both the Old and New Testaments quote the Lord Himself saying, Be holy, for I am holy. However, in both the Old and New Testament eras, religious leaders, some of whom were true believers while others were religious pretenders, made up extra traditions or even rules of conduct for God's children. Believe it or not, in Jesus' day, the religious leaders had developed a tradition that they considered sacred concerning how you were to wash your hands. However, when these men spoke to Jesus about how his disciples were failing to wash their hands according to the tradition of the rabbis, Christ gave them an answer that was much more than they bargained for. I pray that you will stay tuned and listen to the final part of Christ's sermon on vain or empty worship. I want to welcome you to our Beacon of Hope broadcast. We're looking for the second week on Jesus' message concerning vain or empty worship. And I'd like to start by reading Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 to 6, and then we'll uh, have a word of prayer, and I'd like to start with a, a story after that. So it says, Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition." And let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the privilege of being able to share your word. We ask that you'll help us as we do so. Um, Lord, may we say what you have said in your uh, sacred uh, text here. We pray that you will guide us as we look at what Jesus will say, not only here, but uh, in the verses to follow, and that we'll understand and avoid what Christ calls vain worship, empty worship, that is actually an abomination to you. We pray for your help as we do, as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's say that you have a couple and um, they're expecting their first child. It's getting toward the end of the woman's pregnancy. And so uh, she, all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, uh, elbows her husband, wakes him up and says, Honey, it's time to go. And, of course, he's a little foggy at first, but... Uh, gets the uh, idea rather quickly that his wife's water has broken and it is time to get to the hospital. Well, they load up the car and uh, are pretty uh, nervous and excited, all those emotions are going on. And as they pull out, another contraction takes place and the wife looks over to her husband and says, you need to hurry. At that point, the husband looks very determined and he starts down the road and they're, they're moving along. And then the wife looks over and, and to her, the car is not moving very fast at all. And so she looks at her husband and said, I, I thought I told you to hurry. And he, at that point, points to the speedometer, which says 35 miles an hour, and points to a sign now that's just about going past the car, which says speed limit 35 miles an hour. And he says, I'm going as fast as the law allows me to go. Now, 
the question is, is that correct? Is, is the husband to drive only 35 mile an hour when very possibly a baby is going to be born at any moment? I think most of us understand that although there is a speed limit law of 35 miles an hour, there is a higher law, a law that supersedes that, that says, you know what, if someone's life is in danger, then you need to um, exercise wisdom and, and, and caution, but it's okay to go faster than the 35-mile-an-hour speed limit. Uh, I drive ambulance for our volunteer corps in the area, and, and we get training on the fact that it, um, uh, just because you're driving an ambulance doesn't mean that you have the right to, to just violate all the traffic laws, and that if there is an accident because of your foolish negligence, then, then you're on the hook. And that training was very helpful. But at the same time, there is an understanding that when someone is, say, having a heart attack, and I've had that situation, and I'm out on the Casey Highway and there's no one around, I'm doing far more than 65 miles an hour trying to get that man uh, to uh, um, uh, life support as soon as possible at the hospital. Is there a higher law in scripture. Are there certain commands that are more important than others? And the answer is yes. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 23. It's a different message that Lord willing we'll get to later on. But it's Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. So clearly Jesus is saying you're, you're neglecting weightier matters of the law. There are some commands that are more important than others. And we need to keep that in mind as we look at this passage. So there, is, there are times when, and, and God fully uh, takes this into account, there are times when there's a higher law. Well, well when Jesus' disciples are walking through the grain fields um, and, they're, and they're eating, this, 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 uh, uh, and it's not even a law of God, it was a tradition, a man-made tradition of how you wash your hands before you eat. Uh, this is now becoming an issue with some of Jesus' enemies. And they're very critical of why aren't your disciples washing their hands in the tradition of the elders. And Jesus' response to this is extremely significant because the question, and, and there are religious groups that clearly place the man-made traditions of be church fathers or others um, uh, in their religious uh, uh, tradition, There'll be others that would place those man-made traditions above the sacred scriptures themselves. And when Jesus was confronted with people who were doing that, he is, is, is very direct and, and, and very bold in what he says. In verse 3 of Matthew 15, he says, Why do you transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? He is saying that the traditions that they had invented were actually making the people uh, violate God's word itself. And Christ is clearly sat, is standing on the fact that God's word is of greater authority than any man-made tradition. And he gives them an example. He says, For God commanded, 
Notice, it's not man, it's God here. God commanded saying, honor your father and and your mother, and he who uh, curses father or mother, let him be put to death. Now, he's actually quoting two different places in the Old Testament. The first one you may recognize, honor your father and mother, was one of the Ten Commandments. But many of you may not realize that elsewhere in the Old Testament, God said that if there was a child who was just completely rebellious and a drunkard and a glutton and just uh, just uh, being very uh, mean or cruel to his parents, that actually the death penalty could be brought upon that child. Uh, also, there was a commandment, and Jesus is referencing it here, he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. Uh, there was a commandment that said that very thing. That the person, and you'd find it in Exodus 21.17, elsewhere, that the person who would curse uh, his parents, uh, that, that was considered worthy of death. Now, I, I don't know how many parents actually exercised that, probably almost no one. But that's how seriously God expects that children honor their parents. But now, what, what tradition had they invented, these religious leaders, what tradition had they invented that would violate that, that would violate honoring their parents? We'll let Jesus go on and continue to explain. He said, but you say, this is their man-made tradition. Here's what God said, that's in the word of God. But you say, that's what man made up. And I will tell you again, there is a vast difference between the two. And if you stack up all the church fathers and all of the of the great leaders of church history, they were they were but men. When you're talking about what's in the scriptures, that the Bible says was inspired of God. It is what, as Jesus claims it here, what God commanded. You say, well, Moses wrote it. That's fine. Moses was writing under the authority of God, and Jesus is saying God commanded it. And he's, 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 you can see there's no equality here of tradition and God's word. It, God's word stands far above them, like, a, like the Rocky Mountain peak over, over Death Valley. Uh, you know, that, that's kind of a difference in, 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 in standing. So he says, you say, whoever says to father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or his mother. Now, it's very interesting what Jesus is talking about here. Because he's discussing the fact that um, honoring your parents, part of that is involved in taking care of them when they're older. That's what he's talking about. He's, he is saying that, that part of honoring your parents is actually laying out financially to help them when they're older. And, and you know, there are many people today that have been dishonorable to their parents. And since we've had the idea that the, somehow the government is going to take care of them and that therefore we, we can just kind of uh, toss mom or dad aside and, 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 and in some cases uh, throw them in a nursing home um, and just not even visit them, not care about them, um, uh, you know, th- that is just, that is dishonoring. It is not what your parents did to you when you were young. I think I, I may have mentioned here once before, but there was a man that I knew in, in, in the uh, Moscow area and, uh, his parents, uh, his dad had died. His mom was, was, um, was still living and she sold her house to her son for a dollar basically to avoid any kind of a major, um, tax, um, burden upon him. Uh, the man turned around, uh, moved his daughter into his mother's house, did not let her stay there. She actually spent several weeks, and I, I visited her there in his house. In, and I'm not kidding you. It was like a bed by a, um, a, a bow window in the middle of the house. He had her there until he could, he could put her in a nursing home where she died. 
And I've thought about that many times, how disrespectful that was of that man to move his mom out uh, with no concern about her dignity and her cons- and, and her welfare and to move her into a nursing home. And, and this is the kind of thing that Jesus is talking about. He's saying that, that honoring your parents goes beyond just being kind to them when, they're, uh, when you're under their roof. He's, he's talking about taking care of them when they're old. But now, what, were, what was this tradition that they made up? Well, they, they actually made this tradition that you could say to your parents, and, and evidently you'd say this to God, well, I give every bit of my money to you, God. Well, therefore, if you gave it to God, you can't spend it on your parents. And that's why Jesus said, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God. They actually made up this rule that if I de- uh, dedicate all my finances to God, then I don't have to give any a dime to my parents. And they can just kind of, well, somebody else, one of the other uh, brothers or sisters is going to have to take care of them or, or whatever. They're going to have to make it on their own because, because I've given all my money to God. Now, can you see what, what uh, foolishness this was? And let me just say, when man gets into uh, making these commandments, you have to judge them against God's word. And if they're against God's word, man's word versus God's word, there's no comparison. And so Jesus said, you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. And then this is the heart of what he's saying uh, in this message, hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor, honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me. That's why we call this message, Jesus' message on vain worship or empty worship. In vain they worship me, teaching for as doctrines the commandments of men. Now, the reasons for vain worship, we mentioned two last week. The first one we really focused on, and that was where when in vain worship, we focus on the insignificant issues instead of the significant issues. Washing hands instead of major things like he's talking about taking care of your parents when they're old. We just briefly mentioned at the end of last time a second reason for vain worship when God is just not, he's not listening. When whatever we're doing, whether we're singing, we're praying, we're tithing as these guys were, whatever we're doing, he's not listening because it's an abomination. Our lives are an abomination to him. The second reason for vain worship is unconcern about applying God's clear commands. And here was a clear command, honor your father and mother, and and these same religious leaders who are all upset that Jesus' disciples aren't washing their hands right, they're not even taking care of their parents. That's a reason for vain worship, unconcerned about applying God's clear commands. Let me give you a third one. Willingness to appear, and I say merely appear, to love God. The idea is as long as my fellow my fellow man around me think that I'm spiritual, that's good enough. And there are a lot of people that are, are, are like this in church every week. And that is they put on the act. Uh, they, just, they just act like, like you know, they, they, they may fight and, and be very uh, nasty in their homes. But boy, they get to church and, oh, it's praise the Lord this and hallelujah that. And those are the kind of people that, that turn off the next generation. And you wonder why a lot of kids walk away from church. It's because they've seen hypocrisy there. And let me just tell, if, you, if, if, you, if you're in that spot and you, you say, hey, I was in church. I saw what was going on. I saw the hypocrisy. I get it. But can I just ask you a question? Have you thrown out your money lately? Because, you know, there are counterfeits out there. 
And because of counterfeits uh, that are out there, don't you think under the same logic you should throw out all your money because because they're counterfeit money, uh, they're counterfeit twenties, they're counterfeit fifties? Then just throw it out. You out, out of principle. You know, you're not walking out of out of out of church on principle. You're walking out with 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 an excuse. And and, and I will I will grant you that that excuse is real, and that is there's hypocrites in the church. But can I also say you don't throw out your money? You know why? Because it's too important. And can I also say that you don't throw out going to God's house and worshiping God because it's too important? Yes, there are hypocrites. Yes, there are people. And I would just say this. If the church is encouraging hypocrisy, if they know about people who are living double lives, but that person pays enough in, in the offering or whatever it is that they get favoritism, yeah, find a different church. But don't walk out on the public worship of God. It's too important. And it's very hypocritical for you to say, well, I'm not going back to organized religion because I find hypocrisy there when you're hanging on to your money. When you see that there's there that there's something is so important, you don't chuck it out. You deal with it. You, 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 you face issues, but you don't chuck it out. So I would just encourage you. But this this idea of vain worship is uh, one of the ways that, it, that, that one of the things that produces it is a willingness to merely appear to love God. And these guys, that's why they're tithing the spices in their cupboards and and, and concerned about hand, because these are open things. These are things that they can put on a show and act like they're spiritual. Just be honest with you, I get nervous when someone comes into my church and all of a sudden they want to get up front. We don't let them, be quite honest with you. Oh, I got a song, I want to sing, no. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not looking. I don't know who this person is. I, I I haven't got to know them yet. I'm not looking for people to jump into my church, and to get involved. I want to know that they're that they're not living a double life, because there's a lot of it out there. And not that we can. And again, it's not that we can stop all hypocrisy, uh, but I think we at least have to be on the guard uh, on on the guard for it against it. So when uh, our major concern when we come to worship is it what God is is seeing. Or is it what our fellow man is seeing? And uh, there's just all kinds of examples, even in how people uh, pray. Now we have people pray in, in the in this during the service. I, I and I, I don't call on strangers. Um, um, I, I call on people that I know. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But we have different uh, men in the church that are not ashamed at all to um, to pray in front of the congregation. And so I'll have them come up and 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 let them pray. I don't have to do all the praying in the service. I want other people to be involved. Um, and so we, we, we do that. But, you know, I, I, you also don't want, because if you've ever prayed in public and had to do that, there is a real tendency for all of us to be more concerned about what man is hearing about how I sound than about the fact that I'm talking to God. And, and uh, Jesus prayed in public. Others uh, in the scriptures prayed in public. It's, it's a good, it's not a bad thing at all. It's a good thing. But we always need to keep in mind that the issue is not what my fellow man is thinking of my prayer. It is, is the fact that I am talking to God. So this willingness to appear uh, to love God, just, just I'm, I'm okay as long as I look good. That is vain worship. Number, number four, uh, reason for vain worship is the elevation of man-made commands to Bible doctrine. Where my little pet peeve, it's not even in the scripture, but it's my pet peeve. That's more important than, than honestly, doctrine. And that's what Jesus is saying they were doing. You're so concerned about hand washing and you're not even teaching about righteousness and, and mercy and faith. 
You're not worried about the fact that, that Jesus is, is changing people's lives and healing people. You're concerned about the fact of how his disciples wash their hands? That kind of foolishness, Jesus says this about it, and in vain they worship me. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Be wary of the person who has all of these uh, rules that they have that you're supposed to keep, but they're honestly not in the scriptures. Now, there are certain things, again, that, that you're going to do as a uh, just to keep order in a congregation uh, that, that, that are not in the Bible. Um, uh, uh, for instance, um, uh, we, we wipe off our feet typically when it's a rainy day. We have carpets out to, uh, when people walk into church. And, and I think a normal thing that people do, although we don't require it by any means, but you wipe off your feet when you come in. Does the Bible say anything about that? No. No. It's a good thing to do? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's not like you don't have certain norms that you, that you go by, but you don't elevate them. You don't elevate them to the Scripture. So um, uh, these are some reasons for, for vain worship. Now, uh, where I'd like to go next, uh, starting with verse 10, are the, uh, the, the, the remedies for vain worship. What, how, how do we get out of this trap of hypocrisy that is so often uh, infiltrates our churches? And, and let me just say again that Satan is all about. If you remember the, the parable that, that Jesus gave just, and I, met, I, 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 uh, I went through it with you just a few weeks ago, on the, uh, the, the parable of the wheat and the tares. Satan puts unsaved people in the house of God. He, 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 he places them, and they'll say all the right things. And they'll even act very pious and very religious, and, and sometimes you can't, you can't pick them out. But at, at some point... They'll show their true colors. And um, even if we never detect that, even if we never see what's going on in the heart, they're not going to make it. Uh, they're not going to fool God. And, and on Judgment Day, unfortunately, they're going to be uh, shown to be the hypocrites that they were. So how do we get out of this trap of vain worship? What are the remedies? Well, I'd like you, to, first of all, to see Christ's emphasis on your heart He's, he's really concerned about what's going on in your heart. So I'm in Matthew chapter 15 again. Let's go on and see what happens next. Verse 10. And when he called the multitude to himself, he said to them. Now think about this. Jesus has been having this discussion with these religious leaders who are not looking to him for, for any kind of under of, of learning. They're not trying. This, this, this rabbi, that, that uh, Jesus of Nazareth, who is healing people, he is, is, is helping people who were, were desperate sinners to turn their lives around. People are being converted. People are, are, are being physically changed and physically helped. And these guys are not concerned about that. They are looking to find fault with him. And so now Jesus calls, if you can picture, hey, everybody come in here for a second. I want you to hear something. That's what Jesus is doing. He calls a multitude of the people to himself, and he said to them, Hear and understand. So he's saying this now to everybody, not just those religious leaders who are so critical. He's bringing his disciples in, all the different followers that, that are around him. He's, listen, I want you to hear this. Hear and understand. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles the man. Wow, what did Jesus mean by that? I'll tell you this, it was not well received by his critics. 
by his enemies. Um, he's saying you're not defiled by what goes in your mouth. Um, now, this, this will be very offensive to these religious leaders because they have very special dietary laws in Judaism. And, and, and may I say, they were not at all wrong to be observing those dietary laws. But again, this is Christ coming back to the, there's a, a, a higher law here. There are, there are certain laws that, that, are, that, are, that are good, like the 35-mile-an-hour speed limit. That's, that's, that's a thing that, that we need to, as a general rule, we need to follow that. That's how we protect each other. But there are times when that is superseded by a higher law. And what Jesus is pointing out is, is these dietary laws, the things that are going into your mouth. Um, and again, if they're eating with one unwashed hands, that's the context. If, if what the, the Jesus critics were saying is, well, these guys are defiling themselves because they're not washing their hands according to this special ceremony that we do. Jesus is saying what goes into their mouths is not the big issue, is the, the, the food that they're, they're eating. That's not going to defile them. He said you're defiled by what comes out of your mouth. Now, what comes out of your mouth? Well, I think it, it should be quite obviously um, uh, it, it, it's your, your words. But let's, let's, let's wait, and you'll, you'll see that in just a moment. Jesus will actually explain that. Now, Jesus made this statement and evidently, uh, I don't know if his, if, if his critics left at this point. It seems that they did. Because uh, verse 12, you'll, you're going to see that Jesus is, is hated um, uh, for him speaking out against this hypocrisy. Verse 12, then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? See, the Pharisees were, were some of the, the uh, most important and conservative rabbis in the nation. And it's not that they were all there. But these particular ones that were there, and remember, they were from Jerusalem, so they're pretty um, in high standing. And the disciples, uh, being a, a good Jewish men, they would have wanted, and I, I can understand this, they would have wanted to, to, to not needlessly offend these major religious leaders in their country. But Jesus did offend them because he pointed out a major sin in their lives, and he said, you're worshiping me for really in vain. You're worshiping God in vain. It's not doing any good because of your hypocrisy. So when he pointed that out the, the, and, and makes this statement, not what goes into the mouth defiles the man, it's what comes out. Well, the disciples, they're saying, Jesus, don't you realize you offended these guys? Jesus' answer, though, was quite interesting. He basically said, so be it. Listen to his words, verse 13. But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. This is one of the uh, most powerful statements uh, about false religious teachers. And may I say, it is not that these men did not have the sacred scrolls. They did, and many of them knew them very well. And being on the conservative end of their faith, they would have taught that these that what the Word of God was saying, and that, again, they only have the what we call the Old Testament to that point. These men were, were, were saying that that was authoritative, 
The tragedy was they had elevated their own man-made traditions to the level of the Word of God. And Jesus is saying, um, you, 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 actually they did it beyond it because, because you're, you're, you're actually canceling what God had said about honoring your parents by, your, by these foolish man-made traditions. And he showed how, how, how man-made tradition is not reliable Whereas God's word is, because it's directly from God. It's, 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 it's uh, as uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 point out, is it's inspired. That word inspired means God breathed. It's inspired of God. It means God breathed it. The idea is that it's the very breath of God. It's that authoritative. And so when Jesus is, 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 is talking, he's basically saying, uh, so be it. I've offended them um, because tragically, these fellas are headed toward the ditch and you know what he means by the ditch. You probably many of you can figure that out. He's talking about hell. He's saying there are hypocrites who are headed to hell, and those who follow them are going to go, end up in the same pl- space. How sad. You know, um, a number of years ago, I was asked to participate in what was called a walk for Jesus, I believe, something along that line. And... Um, they said, well, we're going to get all these religious leaders together and we're going to walk for Jesus and just tell, you know, everybody that we're, we're all for, for Jesus. And um, I, I said, well, who's, who's going to be on, who's, who's invited to this thing? And they, they basically said, well, well, everybody that calls himself a Christian. And I said, well, well I'm, not, I'm not participating. And, and, and I, I, I wanted, and I, I, I'm trying to think, it's been years. I, I believe I, I tried to explain that to them. Uh, if not at that time, there may have been another opportunity. But the bottom line was this. Some of the people they invited, I knew what they were teaching. Um, not, not, every, not every church is teaching that salvation comes through Jesus Christ and faith in him alone. Many are teaching that you have to do a certain amount of work, so you have to join their church. Or you have to uh, be uh, uh, be baptized by them somehow. You're that's going to save you, and that's not what the scriptures say at all. And I am not going to going to march alongside as if this person who is actually a blind leader of the blind, who's actually telling people a false way to heaven, or some, there's some many Christian churches these days, or, or at least professing Christian, that are saying that basically everyone is going to hell, that, excuse me, is going to heaven. That's not true either. Jesus clearly taught that there was a heaven and a hell. And for us to, to change his words because of, again, some man-made authority is taking man's word over God's word. We don't have the right to do that. And we become at that point blind leaders of the blind. I'm not going to march with a blind leader of the blind. I'm not going to do it. I have an obligation to stand true to God's word. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. And he is literally saying, um, I- I'm done talking to them right now. If they don't want to hear the truth and take the truth, let them alone. Isn't that interesting? You can see that Jesus does not talk like many religious leaders today talk. He really doesn't. And when you look at actually his messages, you find a boldness. You find a commitment to truth. You realize that that we're not just playing a game and telling people what they want to hear, that we are obligated to tell people what God has actually said. And so Jesus uh, tells us here, that, that, hey, let them alone. These guys, are, these guys are false teachers. They're leading people into the ditch. And so let's, we're not going to follow them. Now, 
then again, how do we how do we get rid of this vain worship? Well, the first thing is we have to see Christ's emphasis on the heart. He's not so much concerned as to how you appear before your fellow man. I'm not saying that's totally unimportant, but it is a lower law compared to the higher law of what's really going on in your heart. Now, number two, you need to see Christ's hatred for hypocrisy. He absolutely hates it when we just act like we're godly people and, and when we're not. We need to be honest. We, we need to be honest with ourselves, and we need to be honest with God. And it's not like we have to air our dirty laundry in front of everybody. Oh, I failed here, and I did that wrong. But the idea is simply this. Let's, let's, let's not get into that mindset that as long as I look good to my fellow man, I'm okay. As long as nobody knows what I'm doing on Friday night and Saturday, I'm okay. No, we're not. So then um, in verse 15 to 20, which is, closes out this message, uh, Jesus is going to examine our hearts. That's what he's going to do. And I, I would encourage you to allow Christ to do this, to allow Jesus to, to explain to you what, what really is important. If you want to avoid vain worship, listen to what he says. Then Peter answered and said to him, explain this parable to us. Jesus so Jesus said, are you still without understanding? Uh, the parable that Peter is asking about is this idea, not that which goes into a mouth defiles a man, but what comes out. Because again, this would be completely contrary to everything that as a, a, a good Jewish man growing up, Peter is, um, with all the dietary restrictions, this doesn't make a lot of sense to him. You know, how can you say that, that, that what goes in doesn't matter. We we have all these we have all these special dietary restrictions. We don't eat pork. Uh, we don't eat shellfish. We why, why would you say that? So Peter says, "Would you explain the parable?" And so Jesus does. Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? And the idea is the food that you eat is not going to change your heart. It's, we're not talking about physical issues right now, folks. We're talking about the spiritual issue of what goes into your body doesn't change your 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 um, uh, uh, your, your thought process. It doesn't it doesn't uh, it doesn't change your heart. But he says, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile a man. Now, what proceeds out of your mouth? Your words. And then Jesus is going to talk about some of the things that come out of the mouth. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, thefts, fornications, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Now, I want you to think... Remember, Jesus is saying what comes out of the mouth, that defiles a man. And some of these, as a matter of fact, some of these things um, you may be involved in, in talking about that are, that are wicked and evil. Uh, let's, let's go back over the list. Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. And again, those thoughts don't, um, it, the word is rather interesting for thoughts there. It actually means evil reasonings. Isn't that interesting? Evil reasonings. So, um, uh, now, this word can then re, uh, have an idea of evil motives. And so sometimes we make excuses as to why right, these words come out of our mouth. This is why I have the right to do 
so-and-so. Oh, I have a right to hate so-and-so because of. So I'm making, I'm making my reasonings and I'm expressing my reasonings for doing evil. Let me give you a biblical example. When Jesus uh, raised Lazarus from the dead, undeniable miracle, the man had been in the, in the grave for four days. Well, what was the reaction? Well, many people believed that Jesus was the Messiah at that point. That, that miracle turned many people to say, look, what else does he need to do? This clearly, these miracles are showing that he's the Messiah, but not everybody. There were some of them that went back to Jesus' enemies, and, and many of them are these scribes and Pharisees. And there were also another group called Sadducees. Uh, they were more on the liberal end of Judaism, and, they, and they, some of them, um, about all of them, had rejected Christ as well. Well, now they're having this discussion, and the question is, what do we do? Because this man is doing many miracles. And the reasoning was actually um, both uh, sad and, and at the same time, interesting. Um, let, me, let me read it to you. It's in verse 48. It, they've just, he just in 47 said, what shall we do for this man that works many signs, many miracles? If we let him alone, here begins the reasoning. Like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. So here comes some evil reasoning, and that is they're not, they're not even willing to go there on the fact that he might be the Messiah. Basically, no, he's not. Therefore, if we, if we allow this, there's too many people going to think he's the Messiah. The Romans are going to come. Then they're going to overthrow us, and they're going to wipe out our nation. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. So the answer to Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead and again showing that his claim to be the Christ, the Messiah, was true, the answer was not to, to seriously consider that claim because now he's raised a person from the dead. But the evil reasoning was, well, um, Rome could, could take us over if a bunch of people think he's the Messiah, so we need to put him to death. And it's interesting how John, what he comments on this next, he, this apostle John wrote this. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for the nation. There are some people to say today that somehow the Jewish people are responsible for the crucifixion of Christ. I'd love to preach on that someday. They are, they are, they are not. They're, they're, there's culpability there. But anti-Semitism, as I've mentioned before, is an absolutely wicked, ungodly thing. And John clearly tells us that Jesus would die for the nation, and he's talking about the nation of Israel. Yes, Jesus died for the nation of Israel, but here's, here's good news for those of us that are not Jewish, and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. And what's wonderful is that Jesus died for all the nations, but he died for the nation of Israel too. So don't, don't think that somehow God has, has now rejected the, the nation of Israel and the Jewish people because of the crucifixion of Christ. That is absolutely false. And if you read the scripture, you should, you should be able to arrive at that conclusion rather easily. So uh, uh, what Jesus is saying then is that he wants to examine our hearts. Your diet doesn't change your heart. 
but your mouth reflects your heart. And it's what's going on in the heart that is defiling you and I. First thing he mentions is evil thoughts or evil reasonings. Then he mentions murders. Uh, it was interesting. When I was teaching on this in our church, um, we have a guy who was a former um, uh, deputy in the sheriff's department over on the New York side and uh, retired now. And he mentioned to me that he had, in his um, days of law enforcement, interviewed, I think, three different murderers. And he said in each case, um, he found that the person that they, now this is cold-blooded murder, this is not just, you know, um, uh, getting upset and, 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 you know, blows being exchanged or a knife coming out. This is, this is like premeditated murder from my understanding. He said in every case, the person said that they actually at one time loved this person. And something had happened, and they developed hatred for that person. And then they decided to murder them. Folks, the vast majority of that went on in the heart. It wasn't just a split-second reaction. It was the result of choices and thoughts that were going on in the heart. And what Jesus is telling us is what comes out of the mouth, our words, is reflecting what's going on in the heart. And so when hateful words are coming out of the mouth, we have to be aware of the fact that that's reflecting a hate-filled heart. Now, he mentions a third thing. He says adulteries. He says evil thoughts or evil reasonings, murders, adulteries. This uh, also goes to several heart issues. You think of the issue of pornography and what a scourge it is and how it is just undermining the the uh, morality of, of men and women today. And, and inside the church, outside the church, this is a scourge upon us, and we need to pray for God's protection and, and, and grace and victory in this area. And, and it, 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 pornography is not just something that is a problem with the young. It is a problem with the old. But I, I will guarantee you this, that as one allows pornography to change his or her heart, and again, this is the issue, um, then there are often times that that expression is going to come out in, in, in rape, in incest, in all kinds of, of, of wicked practices that are destructive. And Jesus is again saying it starts in the heart. And when people begin to talk uh, immorally to each other, and now that those thoughts of the heart are coming out the mouth, that leads to major problems. Unfaithfulness is a sin uh, to your spouse is a sin against God. And I will tell you, you some people, again, I was talking about this a couple weeks ago in, the, in our church service, that one of the great myths about love is that is that it's kind of it's not my choice. If it comes, I don't have a choice. If it goes, I don't have a choice. And that is is complete baloney. You can learn to love your spouse again. You've had problems in your marriage. You can. You can learn to love your spouse again. And, and love comes down to choices that you're making, and many of those choices are what you're going to think about. And yes, if you want to think about this other uh, woman in, uh, who's in your circle, and you want to think of maybe down at work or wherever, and you want to think about her and spend your time meditating on her, you're going to have problems. But that's a heart issue. And then when it starts coming out of the mouth, then you know what's going on in the heart. 
The mouth is just an expression of what's going on in the heart. So Jesus is saying, what comes out of the mouth, that's what's defiling the man, but it's really the, it's the fruit of what's going on in the heart. Now he says, he says, so evil thoughts, evil reasonings, uh, murders, adulteries, fornications. This is the idea. Fornication can be anything from uh, premarital sex to um, all kinds of, of um, sexual deviancy. Um, and, and so again, if these, if this is why entertainment choices are very, very important. If you're watching um, entertainment that is continually talking about immorality and and putting that off as if it's good, don't be surprised when people start living that out, because they have put that in their heart and they've been meditating and thinking about that. And when it starts coming out of the mouth. That expression coming out of the mouth, uh, uh, we're, we're, we're really moving down the wrong road. It, it is showing what's going on in the heart. He mentions another thing. He mentions thefts. Fornications, he mentions thefts. And again, you'll find that people will secretly plan. They'll plan on um, uh, how would I get away with such and such a crime, before you know it, they may be talking to some about someone about it. And then again, what's coming out of the mouth is started in the heart. And eventually, uh, people get together and commit a crime. Now, I don't know if, if this particular individual uh, was a conspirator with others or not. But I do know that um, uh, several years ago, my brother was in a church. And there was a, a person who was in charge of the finances who... Um, embezzled hundreds of thousands of dollars from this church that was actually thinking about adding on to their buildings. God was blessing them. They were growing. And that embezzlement not only just uh, really devastated the church financially, but it also split the congregation in, in, into different factions. And, and it really has hindered that work ever since. Now, I, I'm convinced that that uh, decision to embezzle, whether it was the idea of, well, I, I need the money right now, I'm hurting, and, or, and no one will ever know, I'll put it back later on, or, or, or I can get away with this, however it was. It started in the heart. It started where Jesus said our problems are, and that is, is and again, many times our mouth eventually expresses it, but it starts in the heart. Out of the, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness. That's lying. Where does lying, again, what does lying do? It comes out of the mouth. But where did it come from? It came from the heart. I think we know about false witness and blasphemies. Blasphemies is the idea of, of saying things that are demeaning to God and his character or um, uh, um, it could actually be demeaning something that God has done. But let me give you an example. Uh, do you take God's name in vain? Uh, you, you use the, the kind of the, the, the phrase, uh, oh my, and then you put God's name in there. Um, do you, as, as a, as a uh, in frustration, some people will use a Jesus name in frustration uh, or in, um, even in excitement. That's reflecting what's coming out of the mouth is reflecting what's going on in the heart. The blasphemy is, is, that's coming out of the mouth has been, has been entertained in the heart. And again, I will tell you, if you're, if you're watching and you're listening to people who are constantly taking God's name in vain, 
or you're watching entertainment where where blasphemy is being committed repeatedly and you're laughing at it, don't be surprised that's going into your heart and don't be surprised when it comes out of your mouth. So does your life reflect these heart issues? If it is, let's forget about the hand washing right now. Let's forget about whether or not uh, you wiped your feet on the carpet on the way in. Let's forget about the, uh, the, the, the lesser things that really aren't that important. Let's get down to dealing with the real issues, which, which is what is going on in your heart when you're blaspheming God. What is going on in your heart when you're lying? What is going on in your heart if you're stealing? What is going on in your heart if you're fornicating with your girlfriend? What is going on in your heart if you're committing adultery against your spouse or you're engaging in pornography? What is going on in your heart if you're uh, uh, even uh, 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 contemplating murder? What's going on in your heart if your reasonings are evil and you're making excuses for evil behavior? What Jesus is saying is, let's stop faking it when we walk through the church doors. Let's deal with the heart issues. Let's get the issues that are really important to God. Let's deal with them. Say, Pastor, how do I do it? Uh, I've been unfaithful to my spouse. Uh, I'm, I'm hooked on pornography. Um, I have been very disrespectful to my parents, and we have a terrible relationship. How do I do it? How do I, how do I get out of this? Well, I just say that God is in the business of rescuing people. He really is. He wants to help you. And if you're willing to humble yourself before him and ask for his help, he wants to help you. you say, well, I've, I've sinned too greatly. I, I could never be forgiven. That's not true. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for you too, just like he died for me. And, and he would save you. He would forgive you. He would cleanse your heart and forgive you. Here's a verse in Isaiah chapter 1. And with this, um, I'm going to begin to wrap it up. I'm just going to give you a few conclusions. I'm going to read in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18. But while I'm turning there, let me just give you some conclusions that, from this message of Jesus. Number one, it's a lot easier to comply with dietary and ceremonial laws than to keep God's moral laws in your heart. It really is. We start talking about what our thought life is like. Just think of it this way. If we put a television screen up and everything that you've thought about over the past week is going to be advertised uh, with your name on it, uh, the fact that you've thought these things, uh, I don't think any of us would, would want that. Uh, it's a lot easier to comply with outward regulations to make yourself look good than it is to keep God's moral laws in your heart. Number two, those who focus on the lower, less important laws can easily miss the vital ones. It doesn't mean you don't, you don't uh, keep lesser laws. I try to drive the speed limit, um, try to be respectful of that. But you know what? Um, there are bigger issues than that, aren't there? There are times when uh, again, as an ambulance driver, when I, I I need to for the health of that patient, for the for the life of that patient, I need I need to I need to go a little faster than than what the speed limit says, and and so let let's not be focused and make our our whole life about some little uh, issue. Uh, don't miss the heart issues. Number three, God asks you to examine your own heart, your own heart. 
uh, uh, please don't just think, oh boy, this would be great for somebody else to hear. No, what's going on in your heart? Don't don't be the person that just kind of throws this off on somebody else. Number four, to be content to act spiritual outwardly with uh, with great sin in your life inwardly is great hypocrisy. Let me say that again. To be content to act spiritual outwardly with great sin inwardly is great hypocrisy. Don't, and that's an abomination to the Lord. God doesn't want that kind of worship. It, it, is, it stinks to him. Number five, you need courage and insight to see your sin and you need Christ's blood to cleanse you from your sin. That's why Jesus died on the cross. He said, the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Uh, I'll just quote you another verse. Uh, he that hides his sin will not prosper. This is Proverbs 28, 13, and 14. He who hides his sin will not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsakes will have mercy. If you stop hiding, confess and forsake. God says you'll have mercy. And here's Isaiah 1:18. God says this, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God wants to forgive you. He wants to cleanse you. And he will help you if you'll turn to him. My prayer is that you'll do just that today. Father, bless these folks. Encourage their hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a spiritual need and would like to speak to someone who could help you, you can email us at help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Calkins is spelled C-A-L-K-I-N-S. Again, that email address is help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Pastor Jones began the study of the messages of Christ in our church about two years ago, so if you would like to see the original video sermons of this ongoing series, you can find them on our Facebook page at Calkins Baptist Church. Under the video tab, there's a separate playlist for the Messages of Christ series. We also have some exciting news. Our church annex remodeling project is almost completed, so we plan to reopen our Sunday school ministry with classes for all ages on October 4th. However, this move necessitates changing the time of our morning service from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. So as of October 4th, we plan to start Sunday school at 9 a.m. and our normal worship service will begin at 10 a.m. Further, as of this week, we are again providing our junior church ministry for young children who are a little too small to understand the morning message. We hope to have our nursery up and running again soon as well. We also have evening Bible studies at Calkins at 6.30 p.m. on both Sunday and Wednesday nights. Currently, Pastor Andrew Jay is teaching through the book of Daniel on Sunday nights, while Pastor Lane Jones is doing brief devotionals at the beginning of our Wednesday evening prayer service. You are welcome to attend any of these services. If you would like to share this radio message with a friend, you can find a link to our podcast on our Facebook page. Just look for a radio bold icon on our feed. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening.